I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. From the long shadows under St. Paul's number one, along the slow, swirling darkness of the Mississippi, from the windswept shadows of Lower Town to the hollow emptiness of the Wabashaw Caves. Welcome to a special edition of Cabin Country. Let's find the place where the wind moans down chimney stacks and the ravens watch from leafless limbs. Fill your coffee cup and move close to the fire as we join Bjorn and Fudd in a seasonal edition of Cabin Country. Ah, the joys of being a kid up at the cabin. In the water. Sun and fun near the dock with a new dive mask. Going underwater with the courage of not getting lake silt in his eyes. Piece of a rusty file mined out of the lake bottom. No leeches. All good. Put it on the dock and submerge to look again. An old sinker lure with five out of six rusty treble hooks missing amidst the rust. One hook left, but two encrusted with rust to pose any real danger to swimmers and waders. Up on the dock with that treasure as well. Going below, under the water again. How interesting to watch the water's surface split as the mask being worn fearlessly sinks below the waterline. Like watching a view from a sinking boat as it settles beneath the surface. The underwater hum of boat engines and water pressure is no longer making him anxious. Welcome to the world of the commercial diver, right? Friends and family are still up on the dock in deck chairs having a soda or a beer and solving the world's problems. Dad has decided to put on the mixologist's hat and has started mixing bourbon and sevens over ice for those interested in something other than a cold beer. The crew in the sunshine laughing has inspired him to start diving into deeper water. Rocks of various colors so much more vivid than when they break free from the depths and join the sun of the surface dwellers. Lake plants usually cursed out as prop fowlers and unwanted fishing line snaggers look beautiful under the surface. Small minnows darting amongst them as flashes of silver and green. The legs of the boat lift now homes for tiny ecosystems all their own. The water is taking on a more deep marine blue-green as he times the dives to see how long he can stay under the depths. 
It's about six feet, but he's feeling like a professional freediver looking for natural sponges in the Aegean Sea. He's not too far out to be in danger of getting hit by propellers. It's maybe five feet off the end of the wooden dock. He keeps returning to the surface and waving at those merrymakers who wave back at him from the seats on the dock. The next dive brings a treasure into his world. He can see the edge of something cylindrical and see it to be a beer can. And not just any beer can, but a cone top. It somehow stayed underwater amidst the protective silt and suffered very little rust. His eager hands dig the can free and he starts the brief ascent to the surface. He breaks the surface and looks with wide eyes under the rubber dive mask. A relatively perfect cold spring cone top. Just a minimal ridge of rust along the seam of the can. The cone top is a gem. This must have been tossed from an angler back in the late 40s or early 50s. Wow! The young man is hooked. He notices that the party crowd, as it is, has gradually started moving off the dock and further up the bank to languish under the shade of the birches and the oaks. The Weber kettle is now aflame with new charcoal and later fluid. Many people are still lingering on the dock. Laughter, feeling the effects of whatever the old man is mixing. He's in his own world now. Each dive shows him something shining with natural beauty like the minnows, the panfish, the waving plants, or he's seeing interesting items left behind by history semi-submerged in the sand. The light coming through the water is beautiful and glowing in shafts under the surface. He can see the infrequent rainbow shimmer of oil or boat gas on the surface as he looks up. It's oddly intriguing to watch, even though he knows it to be bad for the lakes. A necessary evil, right? You can't water ski behind a canoe or a duck boat. He sees other cylindrical shapes on the sand floor. This has to be more cans. They're in a series of flashing colors that have never been seen before in the can collector's guides. And yes, sir, it's another cone top. He starts swimming towards it. Then he stops and heads for the surface. He needs air. He damn near forgot to breathe in his excitement. Back underwater. Swimming in the direction of that next prize. He can see the cone top on the bottom. It must be in an underwater current. It seems to be rolling on the sand. The plants are swaying that direction as well. He continues to pursue this gem. It seems to slow a bit. Thank goodness. This is harder work than he'd accounted for. With each kick and stroke, it gets that much closer. It looks like a can from the old days of Canada's eastern provinces. How are these cans staying in such good shape? He's nearing the cone top now and can reach it with his hands. His air is starting to go light, but he can make it. He'd hate to lose this prize. He reaches out and makes contact with the bottom edge of the can. The water has gotten much darker. How? He's not that far out. It isn't that deep. He hangs onto the beer can like it's a lifeline. The sand bed starts to slope away sharply in a collapsing downward cone. The suction has got him. He lets go of the vintage beer can and swims for all his might. He can't get free of the pole. The can has disappeared into the dark center of this underwater collapse. This vortex. He's following it whether he likes it or not. Back on the surface, partygoers are heard to ask, Anyone seen Chris? He was having himself a day finding treasure off the dock. Did he, did he go in to use the bathroom or something? Doubt that. You ever known a 12-year-old to leave the water if he needs to relieve himself?
Fiber Stop and Rhodes Markets are proud to announce their Halloween specials for this spooktacular night. Every full tank of gas purchased at Fiber Stop will earn you a two-liter bottle of Bogland Bub's Full Moon Fizz, a delicious mix of black cap raspberries and wild plums. If you'd rather have a snack, we're offering a half dozen of Tante Maria's weird-ass hippie-style Halloween fudge bars. Fill your tank and fill your gut. A reminder to stay away from the ruins of the old Schaffner log cabin off Coivola Road. We've had several reports of physical violence towards trespassers, actual physical attacks, and damage to illegally parked vehicles. A reminder that this is an unoccupied property and that the only possible parking at the Schaffner ruins is a county fire access road off Coivola. You have no business being there. No one is on the hook for damage to either vehicles or humans. A last service announcement for our customers. The abandoned gravel quarry near Seven Mile Lumber is under CCOA and local law enforcement observation. Please stay away from the Seven Mile Quarry site. There is no need to call in reports concerning light anomalies near the pit. And the CCOA is firm in its convictions that giant bipedal shadows seen near the quarry are simply visual suggestions and illusions. Elementals are largely believed to be nothing more than the stuff of folk tales and urban legends. That said, refrain from going to the Seven Mile Quarry tonight or for the foreseeable future. Several local dogs are still being looked for. Lorraine Schmidt is still considered missing, and a permanent CCOA agent or security guard is posted at the site to ensure the region as a secure crime scene. Fill your tank and you'll be glad you did. Tank up and belly up at Rhodes Markets and all area fiber stops. The college pals were out doing some after prime time bass angling. Matt recollected that this crew had known each other for quite a while. He and Jack went way back to high school. Ronnie and Bob joined the troublemaking fray at college. They ran into each other for the first time, waiting in line at the student center to rent kayaks. Most of these outdoorsy college kids were getting kayaks to shoot the Moosehorn River and get a good workout. Jack and Matt got some interesting looks as they were the only ones holding rods with reels and their tackle boxes. A sunny paddle was fine for others, but the two pals were in it to land some fish. Pike, trout, bass, larger panfish, it was all good. These guys grew up fishing and trapping. If they could continue their favorite hobbies on off hours from class even better, they'd picked the right college. They noticed another pair of young guys walking up. Both had closed spool reels and tackle boxes. They were asking the student worker about open seat fishing kayaks and if they had any. More like-minded anglers, excellent. Perhaps add to the number of hoodlums that may skip future classes and use the time to wet a line. Graduation, employment, families for some, diving into the career for others. Bills were universal. One thing had stayed true, however, angling trips as a group were of paramount importance. Others might hit the casinos. Some hold down spots at bars, invest in season tickets. The guys funneled cash into boats, rods, and depth finders. Each of them had relatively new fishing boats. As a group, none of them owned an outboard below 90 horsepower. Ronnie had a Nitro Z21 with 300 horses on the transom. They'd seen it top 60 and stay stable in a heavy wind. Point made. These guys fished. Spring break had hit, and for the first time in several years, the buddies had gotten clearance to stay back, take care of the pets, and head to a favorite lake on a fishing trip. Spouses and kids were bound for warmer climes. 
High fives abounded and plans began to take shape. Boat selection? Check. Check StarCraft 210, easy choice. Enough room for four, workable live wells, a big engine, room for a large cooler. Backup steaks and brats in case a fish fry was gonna happen. Good to have backup. They usually caught and cooked their limit, however. Shore lunch would be a necessity like it always was. A good stock of cigars, hell yes. And a fine roast of high-grade coffee. Scotch, a top-shelf selection of beers, and beer styles. Ready to go. Dogs fed and guarding the cabin, fast forward to the water. Pelican Lake, big water, great fishing. The early mornings and the twilight evenings were when the boys got the bulk of their fish. Bass and walleyes. Maybe a good-sized slab of a crappie. Otherwise, other fish were going back to where they came from. The anglers hit prime time on Pelican every morning. Travel mugs full of coffee, watch the sun rise on the water, land the lunkers, back in for lunch. The late afternoon was a great time to hit the throttle on those 300 horses. Find the favorite spots, the ones they marked on the GPS. Strikes and catches continue to be good. Movies and ball games on the tube after prime time in the evening, all good. Continually satisfying. And yet Matt felt the urge on Saturday night to make a run for Halverson Bay after sunset. The group rarely fished after dark. It seemed to Matt like they were missing out on some untested new prime time. A time where it was too dark for most and they'd been inside for hours. Matt challenged the guys to get back in the StarCraft after two rounds of beverages and gear up. There were bass out there in the bays. Near the reeds and snags, they were waiting under the moonlight. Let's do it! Ronnie's abrupt response surprised Matt. What do you say, Jack? You're the final word on this. It's your rig out there. I get it if you don't want to risk your boat, though. Nah, let's get after it. If the bites aren't coming, we'll take off. Back to the shack for a stogie, have a few belts, and rerun old school. If they're hitting, we stay out. Until we think it's getting way too dark. Fellas, I'm going to wish you well and the best luck out there. I'm feeling today's sun and thinking about the wreck. Sunday morning primetime? Count me in. Right now, I've got to go crash. So out the three intrepid anglers went. Old pals Matt, Ronnie, and Jack. Bow lights on, searchlight ready to employ, and on with the depth finder and GPS. The boat purred back to life as they left the lander and turned about face to head towards Halverson's Bay. Jack's choice of outboards was always a good one. He kept it fine-tuned, and this resulted in very little noise as the throttle went forward. The depth finder and GPS worked wonderfully, and they avoided all rocks and snags that would be even harder to miss in the dark. They dropped anchor on the edge of a line of rushes, snags, and lily pads, harder to see clearly because of the darkness. Matt had first luck. What felt trifling at first became quite a force on the end of Matt's rod. He was shocked at the power of the strike. His graphite rod doubled over and he instinctively leaned back into the struggle. The moon glinted off the black fishing pole, although Matt wasn't paying any attention. He didn't want to snap the line, yet he stood his ground on the deck of the StarCraft. After what seemed like hours of fight followed by seconds of slack, Matty realized that his quarry was tiring out. It became easier to reel in. Wow, this was like sail fishing in the Caribbean. What Pelican Lake could scrap like this? The last few pulls on the rod made it feel like the fish had gone lifeless. He could tell it was huge from the difficulty he was having trying to land this beast. Matt couldn't believe the line hadn't snapped. He continued the steady reeling and leaning back. There was something rising in the water. The scale buster had fought its last. Matt began to reel with a confident power. This thing was big enough for freshwater that it had fought to the end like many a saltwater monster he'd landed in the Caribbean. Never seen that before. The slowly gliding giant came closer to the fishing boat. An occasional thrash rippled in the water. 
its energy was clearly ebbing. Landing this took a huge measure of concentration. The boat lights didn't give much light, and the moon was projecting patchy light through the constant erratic walls of shifting cloud, glittering intermittently on the dark water. Somebody grab the net, Matt excitedly said to his buddies. The fish was coming up alongside the boat, and Matt got ready to bring it up out of the water. The lack of light was really making this challenging. The shadow of the big fish coming alongside sent a thrill up Matt's spine. He'd never seen a freshwater fish this size. Matt returned to the present and began to reach over the gunwales. With some help, he'd be able to land this leviathan. Matt steadied himself against the hull and grabbed at the beast to hoist the topside. Imagine his surprise as cold, almost rubbery hands and forearms reached up his arms to his elbows. An audible gasp of horrified disbelief as these rotted limbs seemed to coil about Matt's left arm. As Matt reared back in shock, he realized his right arm was now in the clutches of long, dead arms, nauseating, gelatinous scraps of green-gray flesh clinging to his arms and hands. For something so clearly long dead and decayed, Matt was amazed by this thing's sinewy strength. It had him enveloped in its stench of swamp rot and decomposition. He now had a horrible realization. This thing wasn't fighting to be free of him and sink again into the black water. This thing was joining them on board. It was ghastly. Matt couldn't believe his eyes. It resembled something out of a zombie film, and it was crushing his forearms with its hands or what was left of them. Guys! For the love of God, help me! Amidst the agony of feeling the bones in his forearms break, Matt looked to the bow. Ronnie wasn't there. Something with black scabs all over its half of a skull was there in his place. Matt saw exposed brain beneath the missing skull fragments, and this thing lacked a lower jaw, so its leprous tongue hung down in front of its neck. The right arm was gone at the elbow joint, and sinew and bone glistened in the moonlight. A quick look to the stern. Jack wasn't there either. All eyes, teeth, and tumors. This thing at the rear of the boat jerked violently, spraying a vicious wash of green ichor over the midsection of the boat. It seemed to be speaking to Matt, but neither of the aberrations moved what served as their mouths. Those who knew as John Renton and Ronald Lemp were dead for several measures of time, your species refers to as years. Matt felt the message in the front of his brain like a burning arc of electricity. The abomination continued. The human lack of attention and brevity of focus has made our task on your world much easier. You will understand when you join us. You will join us now. Matt tried to reach for his fillet knife he kept on his belt. He couldn't move. Arms, wrists, and hands were completely broken. The shambling rubbery hulks glided towards him in the dark. Matt released a curious sound as an oddly flexible finger burst through the eardrum of his right ear. Darkness became complete. Keith and Patty Borgstrom sat under their front porch under the decorative, twinking LED lights. Patty shook the ice in her glass and reflected on what looked like a distant fishing boat amidst the rushes far off across the lake under the moonlight. What looked like a boat seemed to slowly vanish beneath the dark water. She shook her head and tried to focus her eyes, squinting. And then what appeared to be a large oval of light, much brighter than an LED, appeared to silently rise out of the still dark lake water. It rose noiselessly for what must have been 1,000 feet and then darted off at a steep angle into the night sky, gone instantaneously and without sound. For a split second, Patty doubted her sanity. 
Did you see that? Asked her husband, Keith. We'll be back in a moment after a few words from our sponsors. Arcola Blue Light Lantern Bulbs are the industry standard in hard-working, hard-wearing lantern lighting. Stronger filament technology puts Arcola Blue Light Bulbs ahead of all other emergency lighting products. Whether bulbs burn out, the blue light continues to shine. Patented Arcola glass technology is also a plus. Our unique light blue translucent glass is specially made for us from St. Peter Sandstone at a thickness that won't break, even if your lantern or flashlight gets dropped. Stronger glass... Stronger filaments, a longer-lasting combination. And that blue beam will shine out in the darkness if you are rounding up the last of the cattle, searching for the path on the way back from the woods, or walking the high bridge tracks in the darkness, looking for something long vanished. Arcola blue light bulbs are the lamps you should be putting in your flashlights and hand lanterns right now. Don't delay. Switch to Arcola blue light today. Wow, it's a good thing bass don't really have teeth. This bucket mouth must weigh over five pounds, not all that far from the state record. The way this tank swallowed the lure, I'd have lost a finger or two if it had sharp teeth. Photo taken, fished introduced back into the water. A mighty tail splash and it was gone. Back to the prowl, the reed beds, and the snags. My wrists are regaining feeling following that fight. Where are they? Well, I'm not as young as I used to be. Must be that touch of arthritis. I'm ready to head to my secret spot, my tournament honey hole. In pre-fishing this stretch before the tournament began, I realized that this back bay with a low-hanging maple bough is pure magic. I start the motor and aim to the western shore with my GPS point. The tournament's goon is there again, the goon and the skeeter with the sparkle green finish. This joker's been reading my mind all day. He's hit the throttle and has swung in front of me once more, and this time at full throttle. I'm in his freaking wake. He could see where I was going. He's headed for my new favorite spot as well. No matter how hard I try, I cannot get in front of this jerk. He's repeatedly stolen my spots all afternoon. I'm starting to really hate this clown. If I see him back at the docks for weighing, I'm going to get in his face. We all haul ass to claim great spots. This creep is making it personal. I plan to mess him up. He's earned it. Damned pencil neck. Word has apparently gotten out in the bars and watering holes about my fish and the local press's dockside to meet me as I fuel up for the last hours of the tournament. I find it hard to believe that I am actually starting to get tired of talking about the bass. My gear, the specific techniques I employ to lure the big ones. Maybe this is how the punk and the skeeter keeps jumping my claims. Why do I tend to go out alone? Wouldn't a second in the boat be helpful in tough situations? Sheesh. I've always relied on myself. I don't need anyone behind the wheel or working the net. Superstitions and tall tales have never had any sway over my angling. Well, it looks like we'll be calling you champ after today's round. It looked like Niederholz was really messing with you out there today, but you got rid of him. Any suggestions? Any last words? Last words? Where are you going with that? Uh, last statement before you head out today. Do you have any last words? 
I noticed the tie-off wrists on my rain jacket were starting to chafe my wrists. It wasn't raining. It wasn't even misting. What the heck is going on? I have a look at the wrists on this jacket. This is getting annoying. I'll return this thing when the tourney ends. I'm shaken by a hand on my shoulder. Any last words? This is it. The wrist Velcro hurts. I look down. Thick leather straps. My boat? The water? The outdoor journalists on the gas dock? Nowhere to be seen. I'm in a concrete room and a gallery of faces is grimly looking at me through the glass. And now a blindfold is over my eyes. This was a dream. Oh, Lord, my last dream? No last words. May God have mercy on your soul. Fifty-four on Highway Two. Uh, Ninety-three Bronco, PNBZZ four one five. Also a ten seventy-two, pair of them. Two deceased in the vehicle. Uh, Roger that. Nine hundred one H. No need for sirens. Kind of a lot to look at. Sending additional units. What's the situation? Vehicle off the road about ten feet. Uh, off County Two. In the thickets, but short of the tree line by about 15 feet. No damage other than flat front left. Uh, One individual non-responsive, apparently of a broken neck. Really impossible angle of the neck and head. Driver also deceased. Uh, I'm not sure how to say this. Uh, Go ahead, please. Assistance on its way. uh, Well, driver's decapitated. It's, It's dark out here. Got headlights, flashlights, uh... I can't find the head. The driver's head uh, seems to be gone. Repeat, please. The driver is headless. A passenger's neck and head look to be nearly twisted off, but still attached. I I can't find the missing head. Request 914C, but but can we meet an examiner at regional? Again, no siren on anyone inbound. These two can't be helped. I'll keep looking around the area. Likely trajectory patterns are turning turning up nothing. Copy that. EMT roughly eight minutes out. Code 999. ASAP. Getting back to the cruiser, but we'll we'll stay on the scene. Uh, Noise. I I never heard anything like this. It's headed this way. Any units in the area, I need immediate backup. Take it easy, officer. We have help on the way. I'm hearing crashing trees. uh, Watching trunks slam to the ground. Headed straight towards the scene. Gonna grab the rifle out of the trunk. Stay with me. 10-9, officer. What's your status? High alert. Rifle loaded. I'm I'm hoping backup arrives soon. It seems that... Oh, my God. Officer, respond, please. Uh, what was that? It's, it's a head. A head. It hit my windshield like a cannonball. A head? A human head? It, might, it must have been thrown at me. It's, uh, it's suspended the broken glass of my windshield. Held an impression it made. It's... It's, uh, it's glaring at me. It's... It's horrible. I'm trying to trying to stay cool here, but I'm no freaking wait. Hang on.
This is a message from the Department of Public Safety and Local Law Enforcement. Due to a series of unforeseen recent events, your local DPS and law enforcement have issued the following emergency notification. A dangerous ongoing situation in Kuchiching County has made it necessary for the Department of Public Safety and the combined law enforcement agencies of Kuchiching and Lake of the Woods counties to issue a state emergency. Law enforcement and first responders are asking all citizens of both Lake of the Woods and Kuchiching counties to stay indoors and lock all doors and windows. A situation has arisen that will require local residents to find a safe refuge, ideally your home dwelling, and secure all points of entry, including doors and windows. The Public Safety Department also encourages people to stay off roads and highways until the all-clear is given. We will keep you informed of when it is safe to unlock doors and windows and again leave your shelter. This is not a drill. Please stay sheltered until the all-clear is given. At present, no predictions can be made concerning the duration of this emergency. Stay safe. Stay home. Contact authorities if you know of people who are on the water or in the woods. Law enforcement or the National Guard will be dispatched to find them. Do not go outside. This is not a drill. Stay tuned to this station for further updates from the DPS. When more information is available, you will be informed. This is a public safety emergency. Do not leave your home or place of business and lock all doors and windows. Continuing logbook of Terrible Tim Torgerson, The 38, Part 3 of Wabasha Red Eyes. from the west side reports a ghost. A treasure hunter with a metal detector finds a rusty old 38 in roughly the same spot. I get called back to the garage. A couple of wisecracks. Ozzy from the motor pool grew up down by the flats. Absolutely, I believe you. The old speakeasies down by the river flats? Absolutely. Spirits? Yes, I've seen them myself. Outdoors agent Jackson. He taped a note to my truck door that said, Mr. Machine driven by Shaggy. It had an arrow pointing up at the driver's window. Funny stuff. I didn't ask for this assignment, but I do seem to get the mysterious stuff. The hit-and-run vandalism that makes no sense. The first calls for help declaring there's a body floating in pig's eye. Dumpsters overflowing at the parks. Whatever. Just when I thought Halloween's over, let's let this caper cool off. Things were taking a turn for the surreal. I got a call early Wednesday morning. Not a call so much as a summons. Captain Carr wanted me to head down to the West Side Flats. I was going to direct a river salvage project. This isn't usually our deal, but this stretch of relatively slow-moving Mississippi is close to the Wabasha Caves, close enough to possibly be relevant to this case, a case that I thought would have disappeared like last Halloween's peanut butter cups. I fired up the truck amidst the early morning darkness. 
pull up my travel mug. Wow, we were stepping up at the office. That was Mitt's coffee. Laughing goose, by my guess. Anyways, the pickup roared to life, and I pulled out of the agency's garage. The river in the early morning. A wrecker from a local service. Captain told me to hot-foot it, and he'd fill me in on the radio as I drove. Here came my backstory. Torgy, this is an odd one. It's not against the law to angle at night or in the early morning, but a couple of guys who've been doing some early morning drift fishing on the river called this one in. Early dawn, drift fishing near the western shore across the general area of the caves. Cap, there's quite a stretch of flats between the caves and the waterfront. What makes you think this is tied in with our alleged spirit sightings? Give me a second, will you? Copy that. Fire away. Generally speaking, if someone's drift fishing from a watercraft in the darkness in the early morning, I'm wondering what in the world they're up to. This call was recorded on the overnight call system, timestamp about 2.42 a.m. Not all that long after the bars closed. I know. The anglers claimed to see a slight phosphorescent glow on the surface of the river, just light enough for them to notice a change in the water. The guy at the helm decides they should try their luck angling over this area of slightly glowing water. A few casts into the lighter water and one of them gets a strike. A big strike. Live action. Not like hooking into a log or an underwater snag. Dardanir pulls him out of the Alumacraft. In an early morning panic, he lets go of the rod. It disappears under the river water just as that patch of light visible on the surface gets that much brighter. And the bubbles start coming up to the surface, like a massive Alka-Seltzer under the water. The guys marked it on their GPS. They're kind of freaking out, not to mention one of them wants his stinking rod back. Seems like a lot to get a rod and reel back, Captain. Reckon I'd let the river keep it. That's a shame, Torgy. Captain? He doesn't share your opinion. Captain Carr informed me that a local wrecker crew was on their way, as was an outdoors agency dive team. The divers always worked in pairs for safety and support. The old Miss is a muddy stretch of water, not to mention the various currents. Add to this that the sun was just beginning to rise, and you could add water darkness to the list of dangers. As an outdoors agent, I've always been ready to go into the water, but I've always had a powerful respect for any dark and fast-moving river. I was there first, kind of how I operate. Pretty soon, another outdoors agency SUV pulled up, and the dive guys were already half into their wetsuits. Orgy! How are ya? Is this where we're going in? I knew this voice. Dan Hauser, how the heck are ya? I'm about as good as you can get when you're diving into the big muddy pre-dawn. Any idea what we're looking for, Torgy? Well, given the locale and the slow-moving currents of this general backwater, I'd say we're either looking for a vehicle or a body. You haven't heard anything either? No, sir. All right. Well, let's finish suiting up and get in the water. We're bringing our own lights, Torgy. I don't see the aforementioned luminous patch of bubbles. I agreed to watch the guys as they descended, and I'd be ready to lend whatever help I could if things got difficult. These guys were pros. They didn't need my help. I could see the glare of their lamps underwater. The glow kept descending, deeper than I ever figured the shore depth would go. As one diver's head came back above the surface, the lights of the wrecker truck started illuminating the roadside as the tow truck pulled near. Well, you don't see this every day, Torgy. There's an old roadster down there. It's covered in silt and algae, but it doesn't look too bad. It's about 15 feet down. Front wheels and the fenders appear to be partially under the river mud. 
It's going to take a little doing, but I think we'll get it out of the river. Spotlights, strong cables, wrecker hooks, winches turning amidst flashers, and slowly it began to emerge from the water. The guy on the right cable of the wrecker truck said, looks like about a 33. My old man used to work on these. Packer, right? I had to look at the hood. Sure enough, a 1933 Packard in what at one point had been a jet black paint job. The front suspension looked off and the tires that had spent the last several decades under river silt didn't appear to hold air. Other than that, the crew got the Packard to the shore without too much trouble. Somewhere a motorhead was waiting to bring this old roadster back to its original beauty. Or maybe not. Was this part of a long overdue crime scene? I started to use the new daylight to look into the back seat and front seats. A lot of river silt. The smell was a bit much. Dog Day's River meets over 75 years underwater. The movement of river water, however, made this less than obnoxious. Apparently nothing sat in a stagnant pool. The trunk? With some help from a straight-blade screwdriver, we got it open. Again, nothing much. And yet, as the sun rose and I did a final lap around the roadster, a glint caught my eye. Stuck into the upholstery of the front seat, a tie pin, gold with an emerald and the engraving HVM. It struck me suddenly that this could be the tie pin, and by default, the Packard of former Midwestern mobster Homer Van Meter. It was a long shot, but it could be possible, right? A relatively unblemished, factory-fresh 33 Packard with an emerald stick pin near the driver's seat, HVM engraving. Van Meter died in 1934, so it's not impossible. Maybe. Driving down 36 and getting ready to turn off onto 61. Past the big gas center that used to be the home to my dad's favorite Ember's restaurant. Time to wax nostalgic over Ember's combos. Thankfully, I'm no longer worrying about my non-functioning AC. That car that came out of the river had some surprises as well as confirming some presuppositions. River water is in motion. Silts and sediments continue moving downstream. The Packard was fairly free of gunk. I might add that there was a distinct lack of freshwater weeds or algae. Again, moving water. HVM, Homer Van Meter. There would be no way to know. Car records from the 1930s were spotty. Car records from known outlaws were really spotty. Guess I could just use my semi-educated guess as the story embellishment for the next family holiday get-together. Hey, we pulled a gangster's car out of the river the other day. One of the big names from Prohibition. Whatever. What still doesn't make any sense is the sightings. Apparitions with glowing eyes, silhouettes that include fedora hats, a vintage roadster recovered from the river, and what was left of a 38 pulled from the ground near the caves. I'd love to add to this Homer Van Meter's emerald tie pin, but I have no way to prove it. The sounds of music from the big band era, the bits and pieces of yesteryear dug up around the flats, the light anomaly near the sunken car. None of this follows logical thought. John O'Connor's layover agreement. Keep your nose clean in St. Paul and we'll leave you alone. The mysterious tale of the gangland gunfight at the Wabasha Caves during Prohibition. A gunfight which, according to the O'Connor's officers, never happened. Although there were apparently plenty of witnesses. Dillinger, off of Grand. The Barker Carpus gang out of the west side. 
All kinds of interesting people teeing off at Keller Lake. Guys with monikers like Babyface and Scarface. Why couldn't some lingering aspect of the wild days be residually recurring down on the river flats? With the approach of autumn, this would be a perfect yarn for the outdoors officer's newsletter. I'm not sure I could take the ribbing, though. There's a buzz on my phone. I pull into the far lot at Phelan and let the truck idle. Look at the screen. What's the buzz? Deckard. Meet you at the caves, ASAP. Interesting. Yet another sunrise wind down Ohio to test my brakes. Once I get down to the flats, I see Deckard's truck. He's not alone. And there's caution tape in a large rectangle near the caves. Several folks in various uniforms are moving around the taped-off area. Some with soil probes, and I believe I recognize a ground-penetrating radar unit. Terrible T, how do you be? We got something here that seems to be a dead end. No pun intended. Morning, Mike. Looks like you've attracted quite a group here. What's the story? You know the popularity of this park with dog owners? Riverfront. Flat lands and tall trees. Not much traffic. A great place to run the pup. Well, one found something, and we got the call. Have a look for yourself. I followed Officer Mike Deckard over to the center of the taped-off area. As I neared what seemed to have a police photographer captivated, I realized what I was looking at. The remnants of a human forearm and left hand. Skeletal. Sticking up out of the dirt at an angle. The dog had tried to pull the bones from the soil and was stopped by its owner. A call to the police, and now we were all here. Mike, I'm guessing someone from the police forensics is coming over. She's on her way, Torgy. Next steps? Officer Weston takes what remains of the remains back to the crime lab and gives everything a thorough examination. The ground-penetrating radar hasn't found anything more of the body in the substrata. We'll keep going over the area, but I'm not thinking we'll find anything more. Not much more I can do here, Mike. Why the call? I figured you'd like to know that one more non-fitting puzzle piece has been added to your puzzle. An old car in the water... Reports of apparitions, both auditory and visual. A vintage gun barrel rusting out not 20 yards from where a forearm was just discovered. I knew you were on the road, and I figured I'd give you a shout. Pretty unusual stuff, Torgy. I headed back into the office and waited for any news while I filled out reports. Weston got back to me via Deckard. The arm was about 95 years old, 1930s. GPR didn't detect any more bones or hollow spots near the arm. Somehow it was there on its own. It fit the time period of the car in the 38, also the tie pin. These items all seemed like part of a loose puzzle that was almost solved and might not ever get any closer to a solution. I asked Officer Weston what would be done with the forearm in hand. She said it would be put in an evidence box until it was no longer deemed necessary to keep. After that, incinerator... The car was also being held, and there were at least two interested parties in the agency and the police department who might like to try refurbishing the old Packard. The tie tack and the gun barrel, all destined for the evidence box at SPPD. I thought about where all this would end. Can there be resolution to this series of events? A friend of mine was big into the supernatural. She was always talking about crossing over enclosure. Maybe it was time to enlist the help of Miss Olivia. I wasn't even sure why this was renting so much space in my head, in the paranormal world, so unlike me. Miss Olivia told me what to do. Light candles where the arm was found, call out to whatever past spirit was still restless, and encourage them to move on to the light. Do a blessing at the spot, 
and pray for the souls of the departed to succeed in their journey to a better forever. And then, the part I had no qualms about doing, put up a small marker dedicated to the lost soul of the River Flats. I had the message engraved onto a small piece of brass and then attached it via my DeWalt cordless to a road sign near the finding spot. Friend Olivia was kind enough to do the lighting of candles and the prayers of remembrance. She's one who feels at home wandering among the clouds. Me, I'm more of a cordless drill guy. Epilogue. For those who'd like to scoff up their sleeves at my friend, Miss Olivia, have at it. For what it's worth, since the ceremony, there have been no more reports of shadowy figures in the river flats or of light anomalies in the water. The old guy we talked to about the bulk of these issues way back at the beginning of this caper, he still reports hearing big band and swing music coming from the vicinity of the caves, but has seen no further apparitions. Considering the music I hear blasting from cars cruising the city lakes, I wouldn't think he'd complain too much about softly echoing swing music. No, things have generally calmed down in the city parklands, but as far as how long the calm before the storm will last, your guess is as good as mine. If you'd like to try your hand at restoring a vintage Packard, I can give you the name to contact. The tie pin? That's in an evidence box. Oh well. Back into the cab and fire up the old beast. Back to work. Next, Bjorn's going to share a story that is based on true events, so we'll let Bjorn take it away. Thank you, Fudd. You know, one aspect of very young children is their knack for waking from slumber at very early times. Upon rising, these babes often expect others to be ready to play. One of our little plums was known to rise at 3.30 a.m. quite frequently. As parents, we'd trade what we referred to as Candyland slots. We'd be joined by our dog, who served as playmate, ball fetcher, and security guard at the cabin. This was a family spot on a fairly remote northeastern Minnesota lake. It was not an older fishing shack, but more resembled a vacation home that had been built somewhere in the late 1980s. I guess it was what you'd call a year-rounder, as it was well-insulated and had a programmable HVAC system. We could keep the cabin set at around 60 degrees all season and not worry about frozen or burst pipes. We could also email our neighbor and set up a driveway plowing in the winter months, and the county did a good job of keeping the main road clear. Gone were the days of driving up and parking on the road, then shoveling a path clear to the cabin front door. We could now stay at the lake, as many say, at any time throughout a North Star State winter. As an author, I digress. This was an early autumn story, before we'd pull in the sections of dock. Well... It was getting close to docks in time, but we were all enjoying a warm fall. We didn't want to say goodbye to warm temps or warm water, and so far, the last week of September was granting us that boon. The cabin had a large open living room that merged into a kitchen and a dining area. From the dining area, you could see the relatively modern front door. Now let me explain that this insulated door had a thick shatterproof window in the upper third to allow for light into the cabin. I guess it might be the kind of thing that an imaginative young one might worry about if they were somehow left alone for a while. A dog might worry about it as well. Four bedrooms were served by a large bathroom, with a form of mudroom three-quarter bath in the basement. Lucky us. A cabin with a basement. Unheard of in my childhood days. This place was pretty slick. Bad weather? 
Well, Mom would have always said, grab a radio and head to the basement. This place on Crooked Lake included Mom's basement. It's just too bad she wasn't here to appreciate it. So here we were at a house cabin that our folks would have considered to be unattainable. Not so much at this point. Our kids were quite young, but already loved being here on Crooked Shores. Popcorn, the fire ring, boat rides, fishing, movies, waterfowl to watch, turtles to chase. How could things get any better? Well, at this particular time, my daughter was up again at 3.30, and it was Candyland time. I was on game duty this weekend. Our son would always run himself, swim himself ragged, and sleep like a hibernating bear. Not so with this daughter of mine. Always an early riser, she got up even earlier when her schedule changed. This was an autumnal trip to the cabin. She loved it here, but it goofed up her schedule. The story was always the same. The sound of a door slowly opening. Short stride and pajamas with feet. A slow approach to the side of the bed. Gentle push on my shoulder. It's time to play Candyland. We came downstairs to the main floor and set up the board on the carpeted floor near the dining room table. My yawning was probably audible down on the dock. A dock, I might add, standing sentinel in the darkness and fog of the autumn pre-dawn. The pooch came down slowly, did a forward dog stretch, and settled in as the audience for another take-no-prisoners game of Candyland. I'd set up the board, my daughter was selecting a playing piece before we started. I shuffled over to the coffee pot, which had just finished a brew cycle. It was game time. I came over to the gaming spot. The dog was watching my daughter. She was putting the cards in a neat stack on the board. Pretty good work for a a two-and-a-half-year-old. I lowered myself on the carpet, and the game began. My brain was struggling with paying attention to this tilt. Mr. Mint, Lord Licorice. Usually I was somewhat dramatic about the playing of this game with my youngest. I realized, however, after several cards being played, that both daughter and dog looked a bit concerned. My daughter was looking at the dog and then looking at the front door. She'd then look at me. She wasn't looking at the colorful board, which was way out of character. The look on her face was one of concern, as much concern as an almost three-year-old can show. The dog was now in an alert sit, with her eyes fixed on the door. I realized she wasn't growling, but that the room sounded silent, pressurized. Whatever ambient sound was in the room was sort of muffled or distant, and now I did hear it. My dog was growling at a very low and quiet growl while she stared at the window at the front door. I tried to keep the game going and my daughter calm. And then it happened. The sound. Like a cartoon ghost off an episode of Scooby-Doo. It shocked me, made me grin in disbelief. It frightened my small daughter right to her core. What was that, Dad? She stammered with her eyes wide open. I looked back at her with a wry grin on my face, slowly shaking my head. That, my dear, was your brother trying to be funny by scaring you. I'm going to go upstairs right now and let him know he's in trouble and it wasn't funny. Maxie will stay here and keep you safe, sweetie. I didn't know what to make of this. My daughter was an impressionable three-year-old. Her brother was six. The sound we heard was way beyond his ability level. I wasn't sure how he made the sound, but I was going to let him know it wasn't funny and he would be doing some penance one way or the other. I quietly got to the top step of the staircase and took some deep breaths to lower my anger levels before I talked with him. Maybe I'd start by giving him the opportunity to explain to me what he was thinking by playing such a prank. I slowly opened his door and looked at him. Before I opened up with my knowing fatherly accusations, I took a moment and surveyed the room. 
His low-watt nightlight was on. The fan was running. He was in bed. He was out cold. I knew that look well. Once he got to sleep, he was a solid sleeper. He hadn't moved. This was surprising as he tended to thrash quite a lot when he was little and he needed a parent to keep him safe. The comforter and the boy hadn't moved. He was out and not moving. Okay. I tried my wife's door. It was closed. The dog was with us. So as goofy as it sounded, the ghost sound was unaccounted for. None of us had made it. I shook my head for a moment. Slowly, I descended the stairs. My daughter quickly ran over to me. The dog was now standing in front of the door, fur bristling and lips curled back as it growled. I rarely heard our dog make these types of noises. What was outside the front door in the darkness? Wow, that, that was kind of spooky. I mean, what did... Yeah. Did she ask you, like, about your son and making the noise? And Well, you know, Fudd, I, uh, it was one of those kind of curious moments where I was like, well, this this is... Uh, how do I explain this? Right. Um, yeah. Young enough that she's pretty, as, as mentioned earlier, impressionable, to yeah. say the very okay. least. Yeah. And I, I didn't... At the, at the moment, I was struggling to come up with an answer. Um, you know, part of me thought, shoot, let's... Uh, yeah, he's in for it tomorrow, you know. Yeah. We're not going into town for cones on the <laughs> <laughs> You get one, he'll sit in the car and keep the dog quiet. Or, I don't know, you know, but it was like, he's, he's in big trouble. And I think what we did was, should we finish our game? I don't want to. You know, so it turned yeah. into, let's turn on some cartoons. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let Warner Brothers classics take yes. us away from all this, you know. And Hit the lights, da, 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 and cartoon time began, and it was all the lights I could turn on. <laughs> wow. Grab your blanket. Let's, let's watch Foghorn Leghorn. Part of me was thinking, I should go out there and check. Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous, because that, you know, letting light into the cabin on, in the daylight hours, absolutely, but just having that almost two-foot pane of glass and nothing but blackness. Mm-hmm. And no, it was so strange. It was like we're in a sound stage. Yeah, and uh, the dogs just, you know, on the t- I, I, to see Maxie with the lips curled back, <laughs> <laughs> staring at a black stretch of glass. Wow. And uh, I'm not gonna not gonna pull your leg here, Fudd. I, it, it took me a while to, to say, yep, I'm gonna go outside with a flashlight and make sure everything's good. It, it I let a little. Time. You're in under your blanket, and uh, <laughs> Bugs is is talking on the tube, and you're chuckling, and right. you got your you got your your stuffed bear and all that good stuff. And I'm just gonna check the coffee maker, honey. And I, it <laughs> took me a while. It took me a while to get out there, and 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 in the classic autumnal, well, three thirty a.m. You know, I mean, just kind of that cold. The water's still warm, but the air is brisk, and there's yeah. just fog coming off the lake. And I couldn't see the end of the dock. I, you know, and I'm thinking, how much walking around do I want to do here? <laughs> I mean, getting outside, the soundstage quality was gone, and, and and it was welcome to the great outdoors, and fresh air, and you know, great. But I was like, what in the world was looking in the cabin? What is it? And I, I couldn't find anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing out there. I just saw an ad recently for this new high-powered. It, it works as a spotlight, 
it's this German product, you know, it's a flashlight, yeah. but you can like flick on a second button on this thing and it just lights up everything in this like floodlight oh. LED, just yeah. boom. It's like, whoa, I can see the entire woods. Uh, man, I wish I had one of those right now. Yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, it would have been great to have one of those, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, well, what would I have seen? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, there you are. God bless America. Where's the 12 gauge? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, it was weird. And the sound was so cartoony. It was hard to, I was like, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is, this is the kid trying to be. But a six-year-old can't make those noises, mm -hmm. you know. And he'd spent the whole day in the lake and running around, and oh my gosh! And he, like I said, when he's cabin exhausted, he is yeah. out. That's, yeah, that's the beauty of it. Right, you know, you right. Can let him kind of run up there, and let both of them run up there, but you know, within visual. But uh, yeah, he hadn't made a peep. My wife was out cold, you know, not snoring, but mm -hmm. there was no, there was nothing. I was like, well. Wasn't us? Zoiks. My favorite Scooby-Doo ghost sound was the old Minor 49er. Yeah, I was half expecting, like, I'm going to open the door and the, like, giant <laughs> in the dive mask and suit oh, is yeah, going to come yeah. clonking in, you know. Or the, yeah, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that's straight off a cartoon. But Well, and so uh, the next day uh, did... Um, did your daughter remember and confront your son about, hey, that, why did you pull that? You couldn't have or, done. Or did you forget? You know, I, the day starts rolling and the yeah. dog's running around and the sun's doing back stuff out. And and, yep, have you had your forgotten. juice yet? And yeah. Eat your cereal, kiddo. You know, and, 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 and what are we going to do today? And is there still gas in the boat? Of course. You know, mm -hmm. great. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Yep. So thankfully, young minds are, but she does have. A steel trap of a mind. So I, that it was fine in the daylight hours. Yeah, yeah. But I feel pretty certain that we had a, a guest in the bed for the, <laughs> the <laughs> remainder of that trip, and maybe a few trips afterwards. It was just like, right. oh, you, you. haven't heard it since. Mm. Thankfully. Um, but when an animal can sense that something something's out there, well, yeah. it's just, whether it can be seen just, or not. That was that was the part that got. Got got the hair going up the back of my neck. I was just like, "What in the world does the dog see?" Yeah, yeah, you know. And I've talked to a few people of various backgrounds who have various takes on what humans can see versus animals mm -hmm. and the spiritual world and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, Maxie saw something that you didn't see, right? And right. Uh, it's weird to see a dog kind of bristling around the hackles and the. There's something about those lips curled back and the teeth out. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're just like, whoa, yeah. if I try to stop <laughs> you right now, are you going to come after me? You know? And yeah. It was, it, was, uh, it was strange. We haven't seen it since, and I hope we don't see it again. But uh, maybe it was the giant raccoon from a <laughs> uh, yeah, Torgerson adventure past. Absolutely. Look uh, at the size of that thing. Small bear, were bears in the Who moonlight. Who knows? It's from can, past Halloween episodes. Can yodel. Who knew? You know? <laughs> the yodeling giant coon of Crooked Lake. It was, it was bizarre from the standpoint of, I mean, that was the first thought through my head was, are, first of all, I was like, what? And then it was, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's like cartoon stuff. And then I was like, yeah, but there's no one awake. And the dog's yeah. losing right, her right. mind. And uh, 
At 3.30 in the morning. At 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> it's pitch black out there. And, you know, there's that interesting time as, as the sun sets and we start to hear, you know, there's still birds and there's still bird mm-hmm. song and there's sounds out in the, you know, or like at the at the shack on, on the Gull River, you know, a, a yeah. fox has caught a rabbit and we hear what sounds <laughs> right. just like a human scream, you know, yeah. like, whoa, good thing this fire's still going because <laughs> what the heck, you know. Yeah, something about 3.30 in the morning, you go outside and there's there's not a lot of noise. I mean, you can mm-hmm. hear just wind and, and right. the, the rough, you know, the, the waves kind of hitting the, hitting the shore, et cetera. Yeah. So I was like, well, there's still sound. That's good. <laughs> it's not the bizarre pressurized sound stage we were in where you could hear your own heart beating, but right. not a lot of noise in the in the early, early mornings. Right. You know, it was nice and quiet. Dead quiet. And, and jet black. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is cool. I'm going to walk around the cabin, and then I'm going to get my butt back inside. <laughs> Maybe I'm ready for some Pepe Le Pew or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and a third cup of coffee. I'm not going back to sleep. Wow. Well, another Halloween come and gone, Fudd. Yes, it has. Hopefully we've got a few people clinging right with a death grip on their coffee mug going, wow. Ready for your Christmas special. All right, yeah, let's let's please change the tone here. Let's uh you gonna do a Thanksgiving to- show? Christmas turkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Going out to get that wild turkey in the abandoned boxcar <laughs> in the middle of the woods. <laughs> with the light coming out of the sliding door. Right. Happy Thanksgiving. Always a nice spooky slant. Without a doubt. Excellent. We love but it. We, we love do. It. We do. Thanks well, for joining us again yes. this year. And Thanks for uh, joining us around the fire for this round ghost stories. Fire, ghost stories. Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmas. And what? Of Halloween's, Halloween's long ago. Halloween's long, long ago. We should uh, give a thanks to our good friend Ed. Ed came to join us. Ed Brewster. Kept who it was, together. God yeah, love him. He, he didn't uh, burst did, out into did tears. He did yeman's work tonight. Yeah, he worked stuff. He worked hard and he kept the tears he did. back. So. He did. He did. Thanks, Ed. Got into the spirit of things. So. <laughs> Good to have Ed Brewster back in the in the studios. And Don, you've done a, a fine job yourself. Yes, thank you, Don. All the great sounds. Anyway, we'll uh, make another pot of coffee and get ready for the next next edition and let the cabin door close. We wish you a happy Halloween. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 